Okay. So I've just got seven minutes to talk to you, and then we'll be back together again. But if you're little, you might want to just be distracted a minute. Suzanne's going to look after you at the back. I think you'll be fine, Daniel. I'm going to talk for seven minutes. Not very long, is it? Sit more than that in school. Okay, so we have been going through the book of Genesis and specifically looking at Joseph. And that's the story that we looked at today. The story of Joseph is a story of love and forgiveness and reconciliation. And that, of course, is the story of the whole Bible. God loves you and he created you. He made us for relationship. But, of course, we know that there is a problem. And the problem is sin. The things that we do wrong, we know separate us from God. Human beings, we know, are capable of immense love. We just have this capacity to love. Like when we have a child, we seem to be sometimes overwhelmed with love for that baby. But we also know that human beings have immense capacity also for evil. The Bible puts it simply like this. Everyone has sinned and falls short of the God's glorious standard. Everyone has done something wrong. In the story of Joseph that we saw, we see a very ordinary family of brothers who display some of the worst characteristics possible. In fact, they treat Joseph so terribly that they sell him. He is trafficked to Egypt. He's enslaved. He's wrongly accused and he is forgotten in prison. And it's all started, this story of Joseph, with those that should have been his greatest champions, those that should have lavished him with love, his own brothers. And when those who are closest to us, I don't know about you, but they sin against us, they do wrong, it seems to cut us far deeper than people that we don't know very well. It's like a spouse who's betrayed us or a family member who rejected us. A friend, close friend who maybe emotionally has wounded us. The scar is deep. In fact, it's really deep. We all can identify with that. When it comes to forgiving, we can be very unforgiving as human beings. It's hard Forgiveness always sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Until we have to do it. But we know that unforgiveness can do us damage. Spiritually, morally, emotionally. And there's a part of us that just screams out for justice. We want them punished. And we want that person to admit that they were wrong. And at these times, we can feel immense, powerful emotions. There's nothing really we can do about that. They are bubbling up within us. We can be angry. We can have strong emotions of fear. We can feel the need for revenge. And we can get violently angry too. The point is, we stand there thinking they don't deserve to be forgiven. And this is where we're at in this particular story that we just watched of Joseph. 
his unforgiveness has caused him to do to Simeon what they did to him. He put Simeon in prison. His unforgiveness has led him down a track of deception and manipulation of his brothers. He's tricked them into coming back by putting that cup in Benjamin's sack. And here he's on the cusp of even going as far as to cause his own father, who dearly loved him, more pain by removing Benjamin from the family. And all this time, you'll remember, Joseph thinks that he has forgiven. He thinks he's moved on. But when those brothers are in front of him, those emotions come rushing out of him once more. One way of describing unforgiveness that I heard is this. It's like giving that person an opportunity to live rent-free in your head. Unforgiveness from that point can cause us immense problems, psychological difficulties, sometimes physical illness. The perpetrator, the one who you don't want to forgive, appears to live a life free. They just wander off and get on. Well, we can often be trapped in pain and suffering because we don't want to forgive them. In the past, I was minded as I was preparing for this, that um, there was a period in my life when I wasn't sleeping very well. In fact, if someone was out of the house and I was alone, I was terrified. I couldn't sleep. I used to go around checking all the windows and all the doors about five times. And even then, I still couldn't sleep. And I went away on a, a silent retreat, totally unheard of for me, to not talk. I used to ring someone every night because I was so desperate. Um, and during that time, I asked God, you know, what is this about? Because obviously, I'm alone in this house for five days. How well am I actually going to sleep? And God showed me that I needed to forgive someone. Now, the interesting thing about this was the person I needed to forgive hadn't actually wronged me. They had seriously wronged a close friend of mine. But I'd not forgiven him. In fact, I'd not even thought I needed to. But that night I knelt and I said, God, help me forgive that man. I forgive him. And that night I slept. And I didn't suffer from that again. Now the interesting thing is there, I don't know particularly how that worked. All I know is that God pointed it out, it did work, and clearly there was some sort of link. Another way of explaining unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In other words, unforgiveness can hurt us more than it hurts the person that we are refusing to forgive. So here's him, sorry, I'll keep forgetting to do this. There we go. In the Bible, someone comes to Jesus and says, how often should I forgive? How often should I forgive? It says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is saying here there isn't an end to how many times we should forgive. 
And that feels awful, doesn't it? That doesn't mean that we let that person back into our life. We let them walk all over us again and again and again. That's different. That's about putting up sensible boundaries to people who cause us pain. But in terms of forgiveness of them, Jesus is saying, not seven times, but 77 times. He's saying, it keeps going. There is no end. Like the string that Suzanne put out at the beginning, it doesn't end. What Jesus asks of us is, of course, impossible. (laughs) There's part of us always that doesn't want to forgive. But his love enables us to do that. That's the bit when we say, I can't, Jesus, but help me too. And it isn't easy. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. Here in our account of Joseph and his brothers, we've reached a point where Joseph is in a position to do to his brother whatever he likes. He can deal out the justice however he wants to. He can throw them in prison. He could have them killed. He can do whatever he wants. And he has an opportunity here to keep Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin was the one who wasn't involved in this. Benjamin is Joseph's younger brother. There's a part of him that doesn't want anything to do with these brothers. But what if he could keep Benjamin? What if there was a way he could keep Benjamin for himself and make them feel like it's their fault? Just to punish them a little bit more. But this is the breaking point for, 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 for Joseph. Judah stands up. Now remember, Judah is the one who said, let's sell him. If there's any brother that Joseph's going to have a problem with, it's, it's Judah. He's the instigator. And this is what happens. Judah says, now then, Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah, that one that instigated the selling, he now offers himself as a substitute to atone for Ben's sin. Himself in the place of Ben. The love of Judah for Ben and his father is what finally breaks Joseph. Let's look at what happens. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. That video, he's very calm. No, that's not what's going on. Before all his attendants, he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there is no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now what I want you to understand here is where it says he wept so loudly, he's not, it's just not a crying. Oh, I'm crying. Where it says, um, you know, cried out, yes, 
perfect translation, Hebrew cried out. Nice. Earlier, Joseph wept. He went to his room. Yes, he wept. That's what it says. Later on, he wept. Yes, that's what it says. But here, he wept so loudly. They've struggled to translate this. This word in Hebrew is like a guttural noise. It's like an animal crying. It's like a sheep bleating or a cow mooing. It's like a woman, you know, like when sometimes, do you know women sometimes moo in labor? Does anyone do that? A friend of mine did. This is like this. This is an animal noise. It's so animalistic. It's so deep in him, the pain of what he's been carrying. And as it says, he could no longer control himself. He's been controlling that when it comes out, they are utterly terrified because this Egyptian leader has just broken down in front of them in this kind of pool of mess and mooing in front of them. It's like a dam has burst. But this is the start. Joseph can't hold it in any longer. And it begins his process of forgiveness. You know, he's hated those brothers so long. But you know, when it's a family or a friend, no matter how much they've hurt you, no matter how much you want to push them aside and get rid of them, there is always that small part of you that actually just wants them to come and say sorry. There is always that small part of us that deep down wants to know whatever they've done to harm us, that they love us. And I think this is where Joseph is. You know, he's pretended it didn't matter. But when Judah has offered himself as a substitute, it breaks him. Love has won. And in this story... Judah's distant descendant will come as a baby. Interesting, isn't it? Judah's descendant will come as a baby to offer himself as our substitute, to pay the penalty for our sins. Such is the love of God that he could not allow us to live separated from him forever. He was willing to trade places with us like Judah does. But our sin wasn't innocent like Ben. It wasn't a setup. We have sinned, all of us, and fall short of God's glorious standard. We are not unjustly accused. We have done wrong. And Jesus' love for us is demonstrated when he gives his life on the cross. While we couldn't give a monkey's, we have not come to him yet. We have not said sorry We have not offered ourselves for anyone else. Jesus died for us. Jesus offers forgiveness and a restored relationship to anyone who comes to him and simply says, God, I need you. I am sorry for the mess that I have made. I'm sorry that I've rejected you. Please forgive me. And when we come to Jesus, we are forgiven. He remembers our sins no more. He chooses to forget them and he will not remember them. If you threw into that cup earlier a sin that you keep going back to, it is gone. God has chosen to to not remember. 
He has washed it away. When we come to Jesus, he says, forgive others as we've been forgiven. And that can be so hard. We don't want to forgive people. But Jesus' love in us can enable us to do it. And we're just going to finish by watching a very small example that's perfect for today for Remembrance Sunday. So hopefully, Bill can bring up the clip. This is a clip of Corrie Ten Boom in the war as a prisoner and tortured. And this is her story about forgiveness. Do you have it, Bill? He doesn't have it. It says alpha clip. C.S. <laughs> Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then it's really hard. But it really is true that the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. One of my great heroes is Corrie Ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister Betsy died there. She's an amazing woman. And after the war, she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time. And at the end of her talk, she recognized the man coming up to her. And she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She picture him as he was then. And as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew. She recognized him. She could see him. And she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him but I was not able I could not I could only hate him and then I said thank you Jesus that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me and thank you Father that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness that same moment I was free and I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. We're um, powerful words for us to think about. And 
Um, As we reflect on those, we're going to move into a time of communion, and John's going to come up and lead us in that.